It is critical you pay attention at this time. The following program is being broadcast to all fans of Nova and for the preservation of the Zendarian homeworld's culture. I am the world mind and I am turning control over to my human host. Welcome to the latest episode of Xandar Radio. I'm Doug Smith, also known online as Nova64, and I run the Nova Prime page at novaprimepage.com. In this latest episode, the Learn More in Studio 64 segment has the roundtable trio of Don Lunn, Corey Blake, and myself as we continue our look at the Abna and Lanning run on Nova. So I'll get started, and I'd like to thank you again for listening and following the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope you enjoy it and will become one of the champions of Xandar Radio by following or subscribing to the podcast on your preferred platform. Coming up is the Learn More in Studio 64 segment, and we hope you enjoy it. Learn More in Studio 64. Welcome to another episode of Learn More in Studio 64. Today, Corey and Don and I are going to continue our look at the DNA run of Nova, and we are going to start with issue number eight. What did you guys think of that? Well, I thought it was a blast. As we talked about, I think last episode was fairly positive, upbeat, happy, and and joyous, and we had many laughs. I think those laughs and that joy continues in this issue. My favorite character of all time in Marvel history is introduced in issue eight of this run. You know who that is, Coy, right? I do. Cosmo. <laughs> oh, oh! I thought it was the Luminals. <laughs> Luminals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the old Avengers, Avengers, Avengers knockoff. Yeah. The yeah. Echo, echo, echo of the Avengers. Yeah. No, no. Yes, Cosmo. Cosmo the dog. And, and not to be confused with Cosmo Kramer. Not to be confused with other Cosmo. But yeah, a Russian telepathic dog. Brilliant, brilliant addition to the science fiction universe. So, so I had a lot of fun. Doug, did you enjoy this issue? Yeah, you know, it's, boy, I just like how they just go from one weird sci-fi concept to the next. And, you know, here we are. He's just got done with this, or he's not even done. He just, he finished the his incidents there with Gamora and Drax. And then all of a sudden he's thrust to the rip and then we're just given more concepts like cosmo and nowhere and they just keep coming and this one definitely especially once he comes out of the the rip it's it just goes pure horror movie there for a while and i think the artwork's just fantastic it really gives it that horrorish feel the way it's lit in it, film terms, it's their one light source. And so there's a lot of shadow and things like that. And backing up just a little, I like Rich's flashback of his talk with Peter about how the universe is shaped and, and stuff. And it's just one page, but I, I just find that fascinating how how they try to explain the structure of, of the universe and how he's at the rip. So Really, really enjoyed that. And what'd you think, Corey? Yeah, this did have a horror kind of aliens, you know, the movie Alien, Aliens feel to it, which I really, I really liked. Like, I liked the creepiness and him kind of walking around, exploring this new space that he doesn't know how he got into. This issue, this issue, kind of the first post Annihilation Conquest crossover issue, but it, it's actually not. I mean, they could have labeled it as such because it's technically he's still dealing with it. He's still got the technovirus there in remission and it's still still sort of haunting him in the background. He's still being hunted by Gamora and Drax because of it. Very weird, very creative adventures. And then this is the first issue that is drawn by Wellington Alves, I believe. This is when he takes over from Sean Chen, if I remember right. And yeah, I think it's kind of fitting because this story does get very creepy and and whether it's his style or not, I don't I don't actually know, but it makes sense because this story kind of is going into a new kind of realm, new corner of the universe we've never seen before. And yeah, as creepy as it is, then we get introduced to this the Cosmo, the 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 Russian talking dog. And this is such a great, you know, reference basically to Laika the Laika Laika, the space dog there. Real, you know, real life in, in our universe, Russia sent up a dog into space as the first sort of 
I guess, mammal to go into space, if I'm correct. And to me, it felt like a very much a reference to that. We also find out that the space that he's kind of exploring, that he finds himself in and is all very creepy, he discovers that it is the head of a celestial. And we get this crazy two-page spread of him just looking out into this kind of on the edge of on the edge of the universe, I guess. So I kind of went by fast, actually. I didn't, I don't know, for some reason it was just it's like, oh, the issue's done, which I guess is a good sign. Yeah, I think anytime that you get through and you want more, that's a good comic book, anytime that that happens. But yeah, I think the way that they limited his powers because he is still fighting the Technovirus and he's only, I think they actually referenced, he's only able to access 17% of the Nova Force. So he's having to deal with problems and really at a fraction of his available powers. So, you know, you're having to use, he's having to use his wits. He's exhausted. He doesn't trust what he's seeing. He's talking about how freaky it is to run into a telepathic cosmonaut, Cosmo dog. Cosmo's personality, also very entertaining. But yeah, it's Wellington Owls. You mentioned the art and Doug mentioned the shadowing and the, and how dark it is and how heavily inked it is. But yes, it's, Marvel has always had this fantastic, expandable universe. And so they're not just, you know, now Cosmo, they invented out of out of just amazing imagination. But Celestials, that's a Kirby thing that's been around for a while. And, and to think that not all the Celestials made it, that you could be floating around in a giant Celestial head, that's, that's as creative as it gets to me. <laughs> it's just, Rich is going on some of the most fascinating, richest adventures. And, and again, the tone, whether it's a horror story, but we get laughs. We get absolute wonder and awe. Absolutely fantastic issue. Any any other wrap-up thoughts on this one, Doug? Oh, I just, I think his interaction with Cosmo, you know, you could almost have done a whole miniseries just with those two. The partnership is so well-written. You know, how <laughs> Rich is telling him that he's really the freakiest thing he's ever seen, and, and Cosmo's offended that... Oh, really? You're in the head of a celestial and I'm the freakiest thing you've seen. Thanks. <laughs> and that just that, you know, they're back and forth and it seems like such a good dog. And Rich has such a good immediate rapport with him that it's one of those things I kind of wish we had always gotten more of it, to be honest. And then we go, you know, the I think the issue is wrapping up as we're introduced to more of the Illuminals. And that there is a monster threat on nowhere, and it ends creepy. It like you guys had said, it's you wanted more right away. So, yep, great, great issue. So we're gonna go into number nine, and number nine, we picking up where we left off with the creepiness and the awesome dog. So, what'd you think of that one, Don? Well, we are. I guess we have to reference a Talking Head song. Road to Nowhere, because we're on the road to nowhere, part two. Well, it's not even the road. We're in space, but we get what exactly we want. We get a continuation of the existing story. We get zombie faces. We get Cosmo the dog. The, the relationship does continue. Doug gets his wish. He wanted more dog stuff. He's got more good dog stuff. And we we still also have, you can't forget in the partnership, World Mind is also contributing quite a bit in this is because World Mind's trying to keep the technovirus at bay. Rich is still fighting that in these issues, and they make that pretty clear that it's it's part of the danger, and World Mind does jump in. So you don't just have, in this particular issue, you're, you're talking with World Mind, you're talking with Cosmo, you're dealing with zombie luminals, trying to figure out what's happened to them and what bad thing, as Cosmo has talked about, that they've brought on board our giant floating celestial head. Corey, first thoughts on this one? Yeah, this just kind of, you know, picked right up. This is part two of the two-part story here. And yeah, creepiness continues with these like ghost sort of phantom things along with the zombies. Uh, we find that there is this this character, which was hinted at actually at the end of the last issue, but there's this abyss character that the Illuminals were trying to transport and get rid of that is basically their their nemesis, their arch nemesis, their arch foe seems to be a villain that that is very good at escaping and so they were going to try and dump him off at the edge of the universe and try and just just you know here just go go into the nothingness of non-universe whatever and go away and before they could do that he starts to escape his prison here and and cause all this mayhem 
We also see some of nowhere kind of before this happened, how much of a bustling community it was. So we kind of see nowhere established as like, you know, what it normally is. So yeah, this is great. And Nova makes a great sacrifice. You know, he risks his life more with the uh, techno virus sort of in check. He lets half of a half of 1% out to help repair the, the prison that is holding abyss. And that basically takes the virus out of remission and, and as we'll see, he's going to be in bad shape as the story, you know, as the, as the issues continue. So yeah, Nova's, you know, Nova acts the hero. And uh, of course, at the end, as Nova departs, he leaves Cosmo with a very uh, nice gift of a chewy bone toy that makes, makes Cosmo's day. Like that's kind of what I love about Cosmo is that even though he's a very intelligent dog, you know, he's got telepathic powers and he's, he's very smart. He's still a dog and he has he, he responds to things like dogs do. So, yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed this. Doug, what did, what did you think for the conclusion of this two-parter? Yeah, and, you know, I think that's that nails it on the head why I like Cosmo so much is he's obviously intelligent. He can talk, and I love, love how he refers to the world mind as head computer. And... Again, he still has these dog instincts. Like when he first meets Rich, you know, he's going, rah, rah, rah. He's, and Rich is kind of, what? Oh, I was trying to tell you something, but I had your arm in my mouth. So just these dog instincts and how he just loves getting his chew toy at the end. Just a wonderful character. And even so, I like some of these other concepts where all the inhabitants are in this tesseract that's on his collar and. You know, just when you think, okay, well, Rich has a, a little companion with him, he has to watch out. And, you know, Rich is going, hey, can you defend yourself? And the dog's go, yeah, watch this. You know, and there's Rich. Okay, I'm impressed. Yeah, love the interaction. The storyline is really good. This abyss seems like a just a nasty character to that they're going to have to deal with. And then uh, I like how Rich, like you were saying, Corey, he, he's willing to sacrifice or at least take the big risk of letting out just a sliver of the technovirus in order to repair it and for the greater good. And just, I guess, a good representation of Rich here. And again, love the Cosmo. And I love how he likes Rich gives him that little ride up and the dog Cosmo's going, let's do it again. Because he, he liked his little ride, and again, just great. Loved it. I, I noticed that we never see Abyss, I realized. I actually just looked him up, and, and he's never he's never been depicted, as far as I know. In some ways, that makes him creepier. Yeah. It's because your imagination trying to, you know, fill in what it can, and, and sometimes, that you know, like they said, that makes it worse than if you're shown, then Cosmo gives rich the coordinates to get back to his area of space then here comes Drax and Gamora and then we're heading off into issue 10 your thoughts on uh, end of 9 and the beginning of 10 Don yeah it's Cosmo with uh, again because he's a Russian dog I love the dialogue oh comrade Nova <laughs> bad people coming for you it's it's anyway yeah, I just love trying to imagine what the dog is is uh, putting in Rich's head but yes at that very end, it, it's a nice cliffhanger because we have the technovirus-infected Gamora and Drax, who are completely owned and operated by the technovirus coming to finish Rich off and getting him to either join the club or die kind of a deal. And that's what gets us going into issue 10. Another great cover, you know, because we have had some romance with Rich and, and Gamora, and that's we're reminded of that from the cover art and then the first pages of, of the story. We have the, the conflict with rich and gamora and it's we ha we still have the same i, I think really uh, the tone of the art again that we have going on wellington alves continuing to do a really good job i think at times i'm trying to figure out you know some of the styles but he reminds me a little bit of joe bennett as far as some of his facial features and the way he portrays rich but he's he does a lot of his own inks or and when he has inkers help him he does some really pretty heavy, deep, shadowy lines that he continues so that the tone of the art is 
still we're kind of in a sci-fi horror story. And and really, as we're talking kind of quick covering these issues, this is kind of one of those moments where if you if you love comics and you love science fiction and you're a Rich Rider fan, this is one of those things where if you're not enjoying these stories, maybe comics aren't for you because it's the, the joy, even though you have these monsters and zombies and really cool aliens and really cool art stuff while Rich is dealing with, you know, viruses on the edge of the universe with talking dogs, it's still, as Doug pointed out a little bit, this is very much the voice of Rich Ryder as he's dealing with this stuff and trying to figure out this stuff and trying not to be too freaked out by this stuff. But yeah, we get right away, he gets into it with Gamora and in issue 10, as our story continues, Corey, what was your, your thoughts on the opening pages of issue 10? Yeah, so once again, he's sort of thrown into this new place and has no idea what's going on, and neither do we. And it takes a little bit to figure out what's going on. So they they had been, or he had been, teleported Kvitch or something like that. It's basically the home planet of the Technarchy, which is kind of the origin of the Technovirus, uh, to try and find a cure. And this is not that planet. And so he's kind of very confused. Well, where are they? What's going on? And why are these like floating amoebas all starting to attack them? This is like a very, again, like very sci-fi kind of issue where we find out that they are in this, basically that they, basically as they were being teleported, they were intercepted by some sort of interdimensional thing and they're inside it and trying to be eaten uh, so that they can spawn new, uh, I guess, versions of itself. So, so they're able to eventually break out, you know, I'm hard pressed to think of another comic, uh, another superhero comic, particularly where the the big baddie that they're fighting is a bunch of little little amoebas flying around at them and and it turns out they're like spit out of this cosmic kind of organism that uh, swallowed them up. So yeah, it's kind of like a detour, you know, for where they were trying to get to, but it's pretty compelling and because it's a neat mystery, the art is just fun to watch them fly around with these like things coming at them. And I like too the little the innocent that they found there, the sort of elephant like alien. I felt bad that he he was killed, but just like the design. There was a, so yeah, yeah, good good issue. Yeah, it, it a little bit felt at the end like oh well, this is just sort of a detour. As detours go, it was pretty entertaining. Doug, what about you? Yeah, I suppose it does. It does feel a little like a not. I want to say a fill in, but it uh, like you said, yeah, a detour. That's a good way to put it. One of the things I also like about it, and I don't know why, but it to me, this felt more like an original Star Trek episode. You know, they come across something, you know, really strange in space. And, of course, Rich is pulling a Kirk. He's, yeah, we immediately see him with some green alien space bait. And it just, I don't know why it had that feel to me, you know, maybe because there were certain episodes of Star Trek that had the giant space amoebas and, and things like that. But the one thing I do like is even though all of this is going on, Abnett and Lanning took the time to do some character development between Rich and Gamora. We see a little more of their history, especially during the Annihilation War and why their relationship basically ended. Rich didn't want to have anything to do with her more when he realized that she is just a killing machine, and that goes against his core. And so I just, I like how they kind of flesh that out some. Of course, finding the space amoebas and just a, a fun issue. But then when you realize that they're going through basically the birthing canal of this interdimensional being, you know, you kind of, you know, at least I did, I kind of got that little bit of wincing, like, ew. And then they're back in the normal universe. And and how did you think of the wrap up there, Don? Well, I, you know, we've all been through a birthing canal before, so I wasn't too... <laughs> <laughs> we, we made it through that ride. Uh, I need a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's fair. It's a good point, you know. <laughs> but what I really, my favorite page was a character moment for Rich when the world mind suggests with Gamora that now that Gamora's being knocked around and out of control, your sworn enemy and dedicated to killing you, you should leave her to these beasts, to these 
floating amoeba things. And what does Rich do? He saves the girl. He says, "Sorry, world mind, not my style." So there's there's my Rich Rider moment of the of the entire book, where Rich is still that's not how he operates. He's not going to kill her or leave her for dead. He's going to save the gal and, and save the day. So Rich Rider again. Even though we're in these fantastical realms and these things that we've never seen as no offense, even though we have this centurion that's science fiction based, we're really exploring. I mean, if Doug was was thinking Star Trek there, <laughs> that's how far out in science fiction land we are is is on these different adventures. I guess I didn't see it as much of a filler. I mean, it is the next stage of the adventure, but it, it was used, as Doug pointed out, to, to kind of fill in the gaps with the relationship and see that there's still some feelings there, but not the way they were. But at least there's some empathy. So I thought it ended up really, really good. It was an entertaining issue. So final thoughts, Corey, Doug, what do you guys got? I love the Star Trek comparison. I absolutely feel that. And yeah, I'm glad we touched on the Gamora Nova relationship. That absolutely was the strength of the issue for me, too. And it's interesting, too, that they're having this conversation or these conversations while she is still infected by the virus. So she's sort of not exactly herself, which makes the conversations a little challenging. So, yeah, 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 absolutely agreed. Then we'll pick up again. He goes straight from going into the Stargate and then we are into the first ever Nova Annual, Nova Annual number one. What we get here is. I wouldn't say it's a, a maybe a not so much a modern take as we are seeing a distorted view of Rich Rider's origin because some of the elements are different, particularly Ginger. Whether this is just a, whether this is a modern retelling by Abnett and Lanning, or if this is Rich's memories are being distorted by the techno virus. Seems a little up in the air because we start jumping to different scenarios. Uh, we go from the past into the future. They reconstruct a Nova Corps, and Rich seems to apparently be having memory issues of these things. But, you know, I actually really enjoy this. Uh, the first part of the annual as we're going. What did you guys think? Well, it is. Fascinating because it is, you know, you would think of how long Rich had been around before he finally got an annual. And for a lot of long time readers, annuals sometimes don't, you know, are kind of fill in stories or don't make a lot of sense or kind of, you know, but this is integrated right into the storyline. It's added to uh, of his current predicament and, you know, also catches readers up maybe if they haven't hadn't dealt with the, the origin of Rich Rider going back to 1976. But I, yeah, I think it's, you know, for me, you see all the familiar faces and you get a flashback to when he's, you know, the young kid and he's using blue blazes and people are cussing at him and we get all of his characters that he started off with. I was always a fan of Ginger. You know, I always liked the the original, you know, drama triangle that they had set up with, you know, Rich and Nova and Ginger that, that you would have with Superman and Lois Lane. And, you know, he had his own setup like all the other superheroes as far as. But uh, obviously, you know, Ginger moved to the past. But anyway, for his origins, and as you pointed out, Doug, is it is it Abnett and Lanning trying to kind of modernize and update our, the origin? Or even if you don't like that explanation, or for purists that say, well, it only happened one way, because the technovirus is manipulating his memories and pushing his memories, and he's just he's in this semi-coma state at, or, or, or recovering from fighting the virus or flashing back to other times he was in the hospital. It's very, it sets it up where it can be any, any of those things that you want it to be because he's dealing with his, his mind and his memories. Human memories are fallible anyway, if you want to get into the science of it, but whether he's remembering these things as true or not true and whether these things in the future will happen or won't happen, they, they kind of make it, they leave it to the reader to kind of decide on this, whether it's distorting his origin or retelling his origin or, it's just the virus messing with him. What would what, you think, Corey? Yeah, I agree. I kind of read it as, I think it's pretty obvious that, that there's things happening in his memories that aren't accurate. Like he, he never fights sore. He fights this, these phalanx creatures and things like that. So it's pretty explicit that these are not accurate memories, but how inaccurate. Yeah. It's I think up to the reader. And I think, I think it's a good, it's a kind of a good balancing act. You know, see the whole, all of earth's heroes, under the sway of the Technovirus and, and basically the Nova Corps preparing the last battle against the, the, the Phalanx and, and he, him not remembering 
what's going on, and the way that it's done. It all kind of fit together nicely, and I I liked too seeing more of Roman Day. He was always kind of a you know glimpse of a character, and so it was kind of neat to see him used more here. And and then the final like the final sequence is very cool. I love the art and the final final few pages there how he kind of breaks free of this sort of state that he's in and with the technovirus kind of trying to twist his memories and find out his weakness. So yeah, this was cool. This is, a neat, I think, a neat way to do the annual as well because, like has been said, for those that maybe are just discovering Nova through this series at the time in the, in the mid-aughts, it was a cool way to revisit his origin story but contextualize it within the framework of what's going on in this series. So yeah, it's not often that a no, that an annual feels so crucial to the story, but it fits so perfectly in the sequence of these issues. Doug, how did you feel that, that this wrapped up? You know, I, the one thing I liked is even though it, it you know appears that it is just its manipulation by the technovirus, there's certain elements that I really wouldn't mind if it became part of a modern retelling of the origin is the interaction with the world mind once he first gets the power because the world mind is telling him basically how to fly. You go at this angle and you go here and you turn here and you were going to accelerate this point and, and Rich is kind of just going for the ride at this point. I did like that little element of it. Yeah, I also I agree. I like seeing Roman Day appear because he didn't ever seem like he got developed the way or the potential that he had anyway to see him fighting back to back with rich was nice and then you know the the future stuff was i do like the characters that were picked for this new nova core you got to see corel's son zan becoming a nova and we get to see quasar and gamora and, and phyla zell is also nova core i think those were nice core of the core if you will i do like these last couple pages where rich gets powered back up and, and you know that big smile on his face like yep this is the way i'm supposed to feel and off into that final war they go and the end of our first ever annual and any final thoughts on that one well, I, I thought it was interesting that because we have this big annual and lots of pages and lots of things happening. But if you remember at the in, end of issue number 10, that Rich has basically has been warned by the world mind that he's only got two hours until it completely takes him over. So when he does kind of wake up at the end of the annual, he's figuring maybe he's bought himself some time. He's where he needs to be. He's getting his, his bearings back. But it, I thought it was fascinating that all those things, future, past, all those things that were happening in his head and his dreams or and all the manipulations was basically, you know, a little over an hour <laughs> all the different adventures that we saw. But yeah, a really, really cool first an ever annual. And yeah, Corey, any any last second thoughts? Yeah, I think that last that sort of Nova-ish looking monster at the end, I think I don't know, the way I read it is that it's more of a representation of the infection in him and him fighting that infection. And then he just wakes up that planet, the Kovich planet there. But but maybe it is. Maybe it is an actual monster there on the planet. So you have a kind of some Freud concerns about his dreams, Corey. <laughs> yes, I do. Fighting himself. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I got it. Long, cool. At least it didn't take the shape of his mother. And I think it's the <laughs> <laughs> We've already been through the birthing canal. Oh, yeah, I was going to say we're back to the birthing canal. Here we go. <laughs> All right, so our next issue here, we're picking up where the annual left off, and he is facing some a really big ugly at this point. So, and again, he's running out of time, he's running out of power, and he's not in good shape. So, then we are introduced uh, to an old new mutant, Warlock, makes an appearance. What'd you think of this initially, Corey? It was cool. Like he he got there. He finally got it. Got to to Kvitch. I got to you know basically he just started he, him him trying to find another way to beat the phalanx three or four issues ago. So he got there. He made it. Long journey. Long adventure. This is the first issue drawn by new at the time new series artist Paul Pelletier, who I love. I first really kind of fell in love with him. He's drawing negation for Cross Gen Comics. 
the company had at this point had gone under and this was i think his first regular gig following crossgen dissolving and he actually is joined by an inker from crossgen as well rick magyar if i remember right they worked together on negation which is kind of a cult hit for crossgen it was very science fiction based so it really makes sense that marvel scooped him up the pair of them up and put them on nova a very science fiction book so this is kind of cool to see him here this is also the first issue by a new cover artist, Alex Maleve, who mostly was probably most well-known at the time for drawing Daredevil, a very uh, critically acclaimed, very well-received run on Daredevil with Brian Michael Bendis. So yeah, kind of getting some like star power. Uh, it was already a fantastic-looking book, but it's kind of neat to see more big names kind of moving in and, and taking over the book, which is cool. But we still got two writers we love, Dan Abnett and, and Andy Lanning. And yeah, this was, again, we were sort of thrown into this world that we don't know what's going on. It's taking a while to kind of figure out what's happening. And yeah, we meet Warlock or re-meet Warlock and his son, in quotes, Tyro. And the two of them seem to be the only sort of living beings on the planet left. The entire planet has been evacuated as the sort of the parental generation of the Technarchs are um, off in space conquering and doing whatever they will. And the two of them are kind of left behind preparing to, to battle them. And there's this sort of cultural, cultural conflict that happens but in, in, in with, with descendants. So Tyrus preparing to battle his father. And of course, Drax and Gamora catch up. And since they are infected by the Technovirus, which originates from this planet, they Im- Im- immediately kind of turn into this spire, I think is what it's called and start signaling the rest of the bad guys, basically, unbeknownst to Nova. And meanwhile, Nova's trying to get Warlock to help him and help the Kree get free of the Phalanx and the Technovirus. So, yeah, you know, it's like a tight cast. I kind of like how these stories have been very focused on very few characters, but a lot going on. Don, what do you think? Yeah, it is an interesting cast. And the episodic elements uh, Doug talked about where it feels like Star Trek, where you're going on these different adventures and you're dealing with very different characters, whether it's Cosmo and now Warlock, which, you know, for the New Mutants, a character that I hadn't had a lot of experience with, and I'm having to try to figure out Warlock myself and and some of that history, but he's, you know, telling Rich's story and he's filling it in. And it's not, it's done rather well where, where you're still getting to flip the pages and, and you're learning things quick and you're, you're going through different challenges quickly. Uh, you mentioned Paul uh, Pelletier taking over the art. Fantastic job. And, and what's really interesting is that sometimes when an artist comes on, he just, he imprints, he, he or she will imprint whatever their style is and just kind of completely take it over. But when you look at these pages and the ink and the coloring and, and the, the vibe and the feel is still kind of how the table had been set by Wellington Owls. And they kind of, that the dark shadowing and kind of the dark overtones and some of the same, you know, looks because, you know, Paul can draw anything. So he, you know, in any, any particular style. And so he kind of emulated that style. And yet you can tell, you know, his signature, you know, some of those big, huge splash pages with, you know, r- you know, some really fantastic backgrounds and design. So yeah, really good artwork. We've had, we've been fortunate on this particular run of Nova to have some really good artists contribute and, and the cover art also with the new cover artist, it's, it's more of a personal thing with, with Nova without his helmet. So that's actually a really, pretty cool cover. Yeah, I love the artwork. I love meeting new characters. I love the pace of the issue. What, what did you think, Doug? Did you enjoy most of that issue? Yeah, I did. It seems as the storyline is going, everything that Rich is running into is just making his situation worse. You know, he had to, to expose himself to the virus, just that little fraction on nowhere, and that started bringing his shields down. Yeah, now that he's on the Technarchy homeworld, he he is in really bad shape. You know, it's more or less he's, until Warlock intervenes, it looks like he's just about to be merged into the, the planet itself. And Warlock gives up a little of his, what he calls, life glow to help get the virus back in check just a, a, enough. It's not completely gone, but he's in much better shape than he was. And so we're seeing that storyline starting to move along. Okay, we see there is a solution, but now there becomes a moral 
question about, well, it looks like the only way that we can actually fight this virus is it's going to cost Warlock his life. And that's only to cure one person. How are you going to solve the entire virus issue? The cost seems pretty high. Again, I just love the way that Rich has written through this entire series. His personality is always coming through, even when he's infected and everything is bad. He's still, he's in there looking for a way to save as many lives as he can. And then we have Gamora and Drax who keep, are still following him around. And, you know, by this point, the the, the chase between them, for me, was getting a little, yeah, okay. It, it's more background at that, at this point, until they get on the home world and then they become a mess of spire there and makes the situation even worse because that's sending out a signal to something really nasty. And then we get a little, I do like we get some background information on the new mutants and their relationship with Warlock because I was was never a follower of the new mutants. So I did appreciate that filling that in and I miss that in a lot of comics where writers don't take that little bit of time just to fill in something for what could be potentially new readers. But then I like how rich in his richness, if <laughs> richness, very a lot of richness in this issue, a lot of richness. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I want sound effect. I want that sound effect you made again with Gamora and Drax becoming. so so then you know rich is still in the we have to save the most lives that we can and i need to save my world and everything and then warlock makes a point of turning it back on rich and saying well what if your world were in danger and who or a kree world or or another world was in danger you can only save one What, what then what would you do and that panel where he's looking down, you can just see it weighing on him like, okay, yep, you're right. And he even admits to Warlock, yep, okay, I understand what you're coming from now. And so before they can actually start looking for another solution, then they realized, uh-oh, so there comes something else really, really ugly that got signaled from space. Any final thoughts on on this one before we go on to twelve? Well, we've invented richness, and now I think because with the richness and the sound effects, we have Dugness. <laughs> but yeah, no, it wrapped up, and and we talked about uh, maybe some of the fatigue and some of the elements of the story because it's been going on for so long. The the chase with Gamora and Drax, and the virus, the virus, the virus, and now we're almost overwhelmed with all the technology, technarchy, and you know, so it's it's nice that, that we're kind of reaching. This being the penultimate issue before we get to hopefully a conclusion in Nova number 12. But yeah, pretty good. Corey, what's, what's your wrap up thought on this one? Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. Uh, you know, while these issues were coming out, the, the Annihilation Conquest miniseries was still going on. So it, so it is a little bit like this sort of has to keep going. It can't be resolved until issue six of that miniseries comes out and it's almost out. So there's a little bit of like being stuck in the status quo due to outside forces. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like it's wrapping up just just in time. Like I hadn't quite gotten tired of it yet, but it's like, yeah, it's time. Okay, good. We're just about there. Okay, perfect. For me, you know, Warlock's always been, I, I love the visual and the design of Warlock and how much fun artists can have with his form and how it changes shape. And there's all these lines and all the like hair and, and it's just such a cool looking character. But his dialogue for me is grating. I just can't, it's just, it's like, I have always been annoyed by it. So that's probably, you know, again, this is a pre-existing character. It's, he's written faithfully from past appearances I've read. So, you know, I can't really blame them for treating the character like he's supposed to be treated, but yeah, little pet peeve of mine is his dialogue has always been a little, a little bit of an annoyance for me. But that aside, that it was great. And the, the sort of stakes are raised with the arrival of Tyro's father, uh, I guess, father, basically. So the conflict is on for the two of them set up for next for the, for the last issue of this of this arc. Yep. And so we're going to head on into the final 
issue of this arc number 12 and we have the i don't know if it's called uh, is it the Sy sire dam or sir Suradan? bad dad that's what i'm gonna call him so got an adult technarch showing up and he just comes barreling in to land on the planet and goes through the planet so a very mean and nasty looking thing i think drawn very well very ominous looking and its arrival of course sets off rich's virus again he's again back in bad shape that warlock's life glow isn't helping him fight it off and then we see you know along with if we saw last issue where Warlock was talking to Rich and it made Rich look at the situation a little bit differently, a little more compassionately, Rich's presence and talking to Warlock has done the same for him. And he changes his position and understands that Rich has a better chance of saving these worlds against the virus than himself. So he chooses to sacrifice himself and give his life glow to Rich. And in a very dramatic page, Rich comes bursting through all cured and full powered up again. And he is just going to town. Really exciting part of that of that issue. What did you think up to that point, Don? Well, up to that point, yeah, I it was an, a neat moment to feel for Warlock. And I don't, you know, I, I, he's not one of my favorite, you know, characters either, but you still have a powerful moment where that character is willing to sacrifice everything for a greater good. And who's a greater, who's a better, greater good than Rich Ryder? I can't think of anybody. So there he is <laughs> flying, as you said, what, what epic art in, in this particular uh, issue. I'd say Paul is uh, now kind of setting, he's had reflected some of the art to keep the series consistent in its look, but he's definitely kind of showing off on some of these pages just how an amazing uh, of an artist as he is. The battle sequences and Rich flying around and even though World Mind saying, you know, hey, even with full power, you can't take this guy. Rich is like, well, let's see if we can at least buy some time because Rich never backs away from a challenge, even when it's, you know, something that can zip through planets. But overall, yeah, beautiful art. I love how the story went. And I want to hear uh, Corey's initial thoughts on it before we talk about the, the kind of the I think kind of almost a, a fun ending to the to the ep episode. What did what did you think, Corey? Yeah, I, it was very cool to see him back full power. I could, you know, if Nova has a theme song, it was definitely playing at that point. And and yeah, I just love the like the the energy lines coming off him and the zipping around. I love the page where he where the it's I don't know what page number it is, but at the top of the page, Nova's upside down shooting at him. Like just just really emphasize just how fast and how much he's moving around and zipping around and being a human rocket, doing as much damage as he can against this this big monster. Yeah, and I thought it was a touching moment. I love the art too, and in the like the shadows and the when the warlock sort of you know decides to sacrifice himself. I love that two panel bit there where it's his face in light and then it's dark. You know, it's like he's shutting himself down. And so yeah, really really cool moment. And so yeah, I mean uh, this is this is great, great high energy. You know, we've been having Nova at handicapped for a while from his powers. And so now he's back full, full blast, very sort of cathartic kind of moment to have him, have him back. Even if he is fighting against him, he can't, he probably can't beat it's a pretty cool moment. And then, yeah, we get uh, Tiro who was supposed to have left the planet because he, there was no way he could beat his father comes back and also sacrifices, seemingly sacrifices himself. So yeah. What, what Doug would you think of kind of the wrap up here? Yeah, a really good resolution, I thought. You know, Rich is holding his own there, but he's, you know, also realizing I need something else to help kind of turn the tide. And then here comes Tyro blazing back in. And at first you're going, oh, no, kid, don't do that because, you know, everybody's made all these sacrifices so you can get away. And he ends up coming back and saving the day. If there were any kind of subcontacts in there. It's like Tyro saying, yeah, who's your daddy now? Because he goes in, flies in the body, and basically takes over the body. So that's his mind in the giant body now. And so now they have a another ally. And it's nice to see that Warlock is restored at the end by his, his son. 
by Tyro. And then we finally get a resolution on Drax and Gamora, especially since Tyro is also the answer to the Technovirus because he has more than enough life glow to spare. All, you know, Rich is completely cured and Gamora and Drax are also cured here at the end. And they are all getting ready to head over into the final part of Annihilation Conquest. Uh, your thoughts on that, Don? Well, I mean, it's quite literally the happy ending. And who doesn't like a happy ending every now and then? The heroes, even Rich is smiling on the last page. Again, I can't say enough good about the art. The, you have some really fascinating creatures, whether it's Warlock and the machinery and the mechanics of it all. And I thought uh, Pelletier's art was almost... Jack King Kirby-esque when he's doing the monster before it was taken over by the friendly Tyro to the looks of everything was great. We had a lot of richness in this issue as far as rich being rich. He hugs things out with Gamora and they're the, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic ending. I'm really in, and just as a, as a fan of the series and a fan of Rich Rider, I was really glad to see the virus finally, finally, finally purged. And we get rich being rich. So, Corey, what, what do you got for the for the happy ending? Were you happy with the happy? Yeah, yes, uh, there's a lot of happiness. Good resolution. I mean, I don't know if I quite followed the sort of, you know, pseudo pretend science of it, of like life glow and, you know, how does Tyro have more life glow than Warlock? I mean, I guess he because he took over his father's body, but why would he have more life glow? But uh, whatever. Sure. Okay, cool. You know, so yeah, it's satisfying and got got us to where we wanted to be, which was getting Nova and also Gamora and Drax free of the virus finally, and you know, teaming up to 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 head off to the conclusion of Annihilation Conquest. They show up in issue six for the big grand finale, and you know, needless to say, they they conquer they conquer the conquest, so the conquest isn't conquering anymore. Yeah, it was a good you know good journey for the character, a nice. I think the comparison to Star Trek, I love. I, I think it's absolutely on the on the nose as far as like that sort of. While it was episodic, there was obviously a very strong through line, and so it felt you know felt like you really were on this journey with with Nova, as he went through these strange, interesting scenarios, and uh, a lot of these elements, especially nowhere and Cosmo, will play a large part in Nova's world's mythology going forward. So yeah, it's cool, cool to go through. And I like how, you know, that I think says a lot for Abnett and Lanning because they were also writing Annihilation Conquest. But their storyline here that's running that in uh, parallel with it, they tie in together. But, you know, as a this is one of those cases where if I were an outside reader reading just Annihilation Conquest, I wouldn't have needed the Nova run to to be able to follow it, and vice versa. Uh, other than when you get to the end, you obviously need to go to at least the last issue of Conquest to see the resolution. But I think that speaks wonders to them that they can keep an engaging storylines going during this whole time just in order to keep parallel with it, and then they merge back together instead of maybe like one or two issues saying, okay, we're tied in and now we're done. And then, you know, you kind of, okay, I have to see how the other thing resolves and then I kind of come back. But no, they kept it going in parallel monthly and I think that was really great. I'm with you guys. I was glad to see the virus story over though. I think it had run its course and I really was ready to move on too. So as we wrap up anything, everything on this, your final thoughts on this entire segment that we did? Segment-wise, I think it was uh, rather even. While Corey's proper observations uh, on the pseudoscience kind of harshing the happy ending there because it was it is science fiction and sometimes you have to make a reach. Just you know, with our Star Trek comparison, Star Trek certainly made some reaches on science from time to time. And yes, life forces, life glows, monster robots taking over monster robots. You know that kind of thing happens every day. So. You know, we'll understand it, you know, as, as, as we learn more in, in science class about these giant robots. No, I, yeah, I, I totally understand the, the kind of questioning how that worked out. But it, we did get to an ending. It was a great set of issues. This is still, I think, as we've talked about before, one of my favorite runs, if not the my favorite run of all time with DNA, as we like to call them. And who knows? I, don't, I, I doubt that they like being called DNA, but 
you know, hey, it's uh, it's fan speak, and we we were allowed for that. Yeah, I think I probably like there were more highs in the first arc of this run for me, but this was like steady. You know, like this was even. There was nothing that there was never like clunkers. So yeah, I mean, this certainly you know as an as an average is is um, is among if not the best Nova material I think we've we we have and we've, that we've gotten so far up to the point we've been reviewing. So yeah, I mean, this is just obviously like there's a reason why Nova fans adore this. This is really a golden age for the character. And usually when you think of golden age, you think of way in the past. So it's kind of cool that this character was able to grow into this era of really fantastic stories instead of it being, you know, just entirely nostalgia based of like, Oh, well, it's nothing like the old days, you know, like this is cool that when this was coming out, people were, you know, I remember Nova fans were excited about these stories. This is like, at last it was, it's, it's how we've always wanted him to be. So yeah, this is, it's, it's so fun to revisit these stories again. They hold off great. You know, I think I like the way that this thing ended and then it will take us in a whole new direction for the next podcast as Rich continues his cosmic adventures. And I want to thank you guys again for being on here with me and, and we'll see everybody on the next episode. Final thoughts. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Xandar Radio. I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to receiving your feedback. Send your comments as a voice message, and it may be played in a future episode. And of course, you're always welcome to send an email to xandarradio at gmail.com or leave a post at the Xandar Radio Facebook page. All avenues of contact can be reached at novaprimepage.com slash podcasts.asp. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Corey Blake and Don Lund for their time and insights. Thanks, guys. And thank you for taking time to listen to the program today. The next episode of Xandar Radio will have Nova reviews, fun features, and a new Studio 64 roundtable session as we continue our look at the Abnett and Lanning Nova series. Until then, have a blue blazing day. This is the world mind. I am taking back control from my human host. Zender Radio is a Studio 64 production of the Nova Prime page. This program is the property of Doug Smith. Nova and other characters mentioned are trademarks of Marvel characters, incorporated. All rights reserved. Music heard in the program is by Chad Crouch. A link to his site and the license can be found at novaprimepage.com.